Um, we've, been, we've been in a series that we've been calling Everyday Essentials, and we're in week five of eight, and uh, we're going to continue today with that series. Um, the big idea behind the series is that we're asking the question, what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to learn some of the everyday essential things that we need to know how to live out if we're going to build the foundation of our life on Jesus? And so that's a really important thing. And uh, it turns out that the list isn't all that long of things that, that we, we really have to know and understand how to do, but the things that are on that list are incredibly important for us to learn, not just to hear about and, and uh, for us to walk away and go, man, that was a great sermon on prayer. Jay really knocked that one out of the park. I really understand prayer. If you don't become more prayerful as a result, we've failed, just so you know. This, this isn't a series about teaching you good things that you don't practice. This is about us practicing the things that are essential to our faith. Does that make sense? So, so that's what we're trying to grow in through this series. <clears throat> Last week we talked about how to be led by the Holy Spirit and the fact that, that we have a helper in our life to help us to do things and to be things that we cannot be apart from Him and that we have access to God the Father and His thoughts for us moment by moment because we've been given the Spirit. Unfortunately, though, because of our, our rebelliousness and our, our desire not to listen to the Father, we tend to listen to ourselves more than we listen to Him. And so we need to grow in our ability to kind of not listen to our hearts and what we would like, what we would desire, but grow in our ability to listen to Him. And we, we ended our time, if you remember, uh, with just some space for you to be able to listen to the Father and to hear if the Spirit had anything to say to you. I was so encouraged uh, afterwards when we went to the table because I asked a few people what God had told them, and they knew specifically. Like, it wasn't like, oh, I think sort of this or maybe that. It was like, no, this. I know I need to do that this week. I need to grow in this specific thing. How many of you had a specific thing that the Spirit said to you Actually, I want you to grow in this or address this area. How many of you had something like that last week? It's, it, it's encouraging, right? To know that when we actually give the Spirit space to speak to us, He does, in fact, speak. It's an amazing thing. So what do we do with that speech? That's the next question. Um, because we need to be people that, whose lives reflect a certain quality and, uh, and, and the Spirit will actually lead us to live lives that look a certain way. And we're going to talk about what that way is. So last week we talked about who is the Spirit, what does He do in our life, how do we listen to Him. This week we're going to talk about how do we live lives of love. What does it look like for us to live lives that reflect the love that God has for us? And specifically, I think what God is calling us to as a community is that we would we would be people who are known for living lives who, where we love others more than we love ourselves. That we love other people more than we actually love ourselves. That we want to desire things about them and their good and their well-being and their growth and their, their, their betterment, their blessing, more than we seek those things for ourselves. And I just want to encourage our family with this. I think this is an area that we've been growing in consistently over the last four years. Um, and I'm just, I just want to encourage us with that, and I want to remind us that that, was, that is God at work in our community. One of the things that I hear most often from the people that come and, and visit us as a church family is they go, I've never, I, I didn't know anybody when I walked through the door, and yet I felt like I was part of a family even though it was the first time I was here. That's great, right? I mean, that should be celebrated. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to do that in our community and to make us look that way for those that are a part of it. And I just pray that God would continue to do that. And we need to know how to maybe cultivate that idea of being a community that loves others more than, than we love ourselves. The great news is, I mean, this happens to be Mother's Day. And so um, moms are a great example of this, right? It was funny because when, we when I originally wrote the series out, um, today happened to be how to resolve conflict. And I thought, I just can't do it, you know? <laughs> that's, so that's next week, just so you know. Yeah, right, and we're going to give you flowers just to try to help with that. Um, but, 
but guys, I mean, let's be honest. Women tend to outpace us in this area. I mean, I was just thinking about all the ways that Mandy uh, expresses love and the way that she loves her family more than herself. I mean, I, I've seen her clean things with her bare hands that I won't come within 20 feet of. I mean, there, there's a, a real deep love there for our family. I mean, the way that she sacrifices herself and her time and even her own energy by getting up when she doesn't want to get up and, and serving us in ways that are inconvenient for her, I learn a lot from her. And a lot of actually what I'm going to share today is, is because I've learned it from my wife. And I'm proud of that fact. Um, but here's the thing that we need to know about love. Our world absolutely craves love, does it not? I mean, it, it is everywhere in our culture. And we're told by our culture that we can seek it and find it in a number of different places and areas if we just find the right person or find the right product or find the right experience, if we get those types of things, the right vacation, the right uh, uh, retirement, the right, what, the right spouse, the right girlfriend, the right boyfriend, the right job, uh, the right thing, then we'll find love. And that will be enough to satisfy us. And here's the thing. Love is a big deal in our world actually because it's a big deal to God. I don't know if you realize that. Even in our misplacement of where to find love and to try to get satisfaction from our love, the reason that we've done that is actually because God has designed us to be beings who both give love and experience love in return. It's a big deal to Him. In fact, it's such a big deal that love is actually the greatest purpose of our lives. The reason that you exist on planet Earth in part, is so that you would be someone who reflects God's love to other people and shows what He's like by the way that you love others. It's that central. In fact, we can't really understand what life is all about if we don't understand what love is. And so, when Jesus was asked, what's most important? Like, what's the greatest commandment? What's, what's the thing that we all should understand and learn? Somebody came to Jesus and asked him that question. He said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what he's saying, all the law, everything that God intends for your life, if you were to match up everything the way that it should look, the way that you should live, it will look like a life of love. Loving God and loving others. And if you obey the prophets and what they're calling you to, and a prophet is just somebody who speaks the words of God to the people of God to get them to live the life that God intends for them to live. That's what a prophet is. If you listen to the prophets, the result would be that you would love God and love others with your whole self. That would be the result of your life. If you want to know what God wants for you on this planet, it is to love. And what's amazing to me, when I look at my own life and when I look at the lives of so many other people in the world, is that it's easy for us to think that our lives can be about so many other things. Isn't it? I mean, think of all the things that we concern our time with, the things that we think are most central to our being and our identity and our well-being and our success in the world. I mean, it could be our success in our careers. It could be our children's success. It could be in the acquiring of things or a house or a status or a retirement. It could be in being comfortable. It could be in being right. I mean, how many of us love to be right? Thank you. Thanks for being honest and right. <laughs> The question I would have for us, though, is do we love being right more than we love being loving? Oftentimes, I'm not sure. That line gets pretty blurry for me. And here's the thing. Jesus actually has strong words for one of the churches that are in the first century who forgot the primary reason that they existed. So in the book of Revelation... John gets a vision and Jesus is speaking words of either encouragement or correction to seven of the churches that are around Asia Minor in John's day. And this is a, a prophetic word from Jesus to them to, to get them on the right track again. And this is what Jesus says to one of the 
marquee, premier, like knock it out of the park churches. Like if you wanted to know, hey, what does it look like to be a successful church? You would look at the church in Ephesus and you'd go, yep, we've got to be more like them. Of course, we don't do that in the church world today, right? Nothing like that. Where we look at the success or the, what other people have, we go, man, we, we need to be just like them. I just consider this, even as you think like, man, we should be more like whatever the other group of people is. It says this, To the angel of the church of Ephesus, I write this, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his, in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus, by the way. He's just saying, here's the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. He's about to speak, so listen up. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Sounds like a great group of people to be a part of, doesn't it? They know the truth. They can discern falsehood. They persevere. They, they're hardworking. It's a great group, right? We're doing it right. I mean, if, if we got that kind of accommodation from Jesus himself, we'd go, yeah, you know what? Things are going okay around here. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, if you do not turn your mind and turn your way of thinking, which turns your life around, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. See, we can be about a lot of other good things, but we can miss the right thing. We can miss the central thing. That's why love is a big deal. Because Jesus said, if you don't turn and come back to love as being the main thing, I will remove your lampstand, which means I will cause your church to cease to exist. The lampstand is the church. It is the, the body of Christ in Ephesus. And Jesus is going, if you've forgotten how to love one another and love those around you more than yourself, there is no reason for this light to continue to exist because it's existing for another purpose than the one that I placed it there for. It's a pretty strong rebuke, right? Pretty strong. See, you and I can give our lives to many, many good things but miss the most central thing. Paul puts it this way, if I speak in the tongues of men, of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast... So if it's all about me and the reason that I do these things, I'm doing it for myself. I'm loving myself more than others. If I do not have love for others, I gain nothing from what I do. See, the good things that we do should never get in the way of the best thing, which is loving God and loving others. So that sounds really like flowery, right? I mean, okay, let's just love people. But here's the thing. I don't think we actually know how to do that. Um, because we, we haven't taken maybe a closer magnifying glass to our lives to actually see what it looks like to love others more than ourselves. So let me ask you, I mean, just input on this one and help me out a little bit. What do you think it means to love other people as ourselves or more than ourselves? What do you think that looks like? Or what do you think it means, practically speaking? Okay, putting their needs above our needs. Yeah, invest your time, right? We talked about that in the message on prayer, how, how our time is the most valuable resource that we have. We don't like to use it on things that we don't feel are effective, right? Um, so to give someone our time is, is a tremendous way of saying love because you're saying, I'm giving you the only resource that I can never renew. Yeah, right. So we can give our time but not actually be present. I've, I've noticed that in my own heart. I'm going to share that in a second, but that's a real issue, especially in our world where we've got so many other competing voices in our lives and so many distractions um, that we can actually be with people and not be with people. Um, and that doesn't communicate love. Yeah, Liz, go ahead. 
Yeah, so oftentimes we, uh, we, we don't like the result of the way that people act towards us. And rather than understanding maybe some of the reasons behind those things and help them through the motivation, we just react to the reaction. We go, I don't like that person because they're impatient with me. Instead of asking, why are they impatient? Maybe we need to actually understand what's going on in their life. And what I've found is that the more that you get to know someone's story, the more compassion you have for them. It's like if you have a coworker at work and you're like, man, that person just drives me crazy. And then all of a sudden, like one day, you get some time at the cooler or over a lunch table, and they actually share your story, and it, the light bulb comes on. You go, oh, my gosh, that explains everything. Not in a bad way, not in like a, oh, I feel sorry for this person type way, but like, wow, I have so much compassion to understand some of the driving factors behind why they are who they are. Maybe God is calling me to love them through who they are rather than just reject them for who they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I would say the root of all of our unloving uh, interactions with people and, and perspective towards them is probably because we've forgotten something about ourselves and about God. That's good. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it, that we think that the way to loving ourselves is to, like, feed our sinful nature? You ever, you, like, get into that pattern where you go, well, the thing that's most loving for me to do this afternoon is to be comfortable and so I'll, I'll push people away or I won't spend time with folks or I won't give my time because I think that's loving to me. And what that's actually doing is cultivating in your heart a sinful pattern that rejects God, which is not the loving thing to do for yourself. You realize that? It's crazy how we mix that up. Like the most loving thing that you can do for yourself is to die to your flesh. We talked about that last week. So that you can actually listen to the Spirit, respond to Him, and grow to be more like Jesus. The most loving thing that God ever wanted to do for you is to make you look like his son. And every time you reject that by wanting to protect yourself rather than give yourself away, you're actually not loving yourself well. That's amazing, isn't it? I just, I mean, thanks for that thought. I didn't even think of it that way until just now. But that's huge. Uh, James in the back. Uh, Liz, you go, you go first again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's not an emotion, right? It's not just a feeling. <laughs> I love how you use the qualifier. <laughs> what I'm about to say is difficult, so I'm going to use some really flowery adjectives <laughs> to help soften the blow that's about to come in. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right. Well, and I would, maybe to spin it a different way, I would say the, the, the whole dying to ourself thing might actually include us not serving out of a need to get someone else's approval. And so we might think I'm dying to myself because I'm doing a really good job serving my family when really I'm feeding my flesh through the process of doing that because what I need desperately more than everything is for my children and my spouse or whoever to love me and approve me and accept of me, which is actually feeding my flesh. It's not dying to myself. So you're right. Sometimes saying no and allowing people to experience the, the result of their own brokenness or sin or failures or whatever is the loving thing to do. And that may be the most difficult thing for us to do in our flesh because we want them to love us. We want them to see us as the one who always comes and saves the day. And what we're really saying is, I need to be the Savior for my family, which is us gaining an identity for ourselves apart from Christ, right? It's us feeding our flesh. It's not dying to ourselves. Yeah, that's a big thing, right? Cause, and, and, I mean, just to be honest, as the church, we haven't been really good at that one because we like to think that we're right. We like to think that we've got it all together and that because of Jesus, we now live holy lives that are separate and distinct from the rest of the world. And so we tend to prop ourselves up as being different from the rest of the world and we look down our noses at what other people do when it's really just the same brokenness expressed in a different way. So the thing I... I the reason why we always come back to the gospel as the main thing in this church is to remember that we're no different from those people who've never heard of Christ before. We've just found the one who meets us in the midst of our brokenness. And so that should always lead us to be humble. Always. And so, so if we're remembering the gospel correctly, we shouldn't be people that are, are not empathetic or not compassionate towards others because we go, you know, like... Your sin and brokenness may have expressed itself in a completely different way than mine, 
But I understand all the motivations that led you to that because I've experienced every single one of them. Yeah, and oftentimes we'll, we'll, we might get into a pattern where we go, well, I'm a loving person because what we're comparing ourselves to is the world or other people. And every time you do that, you come out looking pretty decent. You know, like, because you'll just find the right person to compare yourself to, which will prop you up. So you'll, you, you go, oh man, well, that person's really loving. Well, I shouldn't compare myself to them. This person isn't doing such a great job, but if I compare myself to them, I look really pretty good. We should always be people that compare ourselves to Jesus. And the problem with that is that it leaves us a wreck every single time. <laughs> because we know that He outshines us in every way and outpaces us in everything. And so we, we look to Him both as our example, but we also have to look to Him as our Savior because if we only look to Jesus as our example of love, we will be crushed, right? We'll be absolutely crushed because we'll go, I don't love people that way. And that's actually the point. We should be led to the point where we despair in ourselves and our own strength when it comes to love. Because we don't love people as we should, as perfectly as we should, as, as much as God intended. I was praying through this, and I, I think um, I, I was thinking of this, you know, for God to just bring this home for my own life and my own heart, some ways that I need to grow in my, the way that I love other people. And, um, and the thing that the Spirit seemed to put His finger on, which seemed, as I started to think about it, was kind of a central theme over the idea of love, at least in my life, is that the real test of love is access. I'll say that again because it's super important. The real test of our love for other people, whether or not we're loving them more than ourselves, is, is how much access they have to us. Um, access to our time. Somebody mentioned that before. Access to our thoughts and, and what's going on inside of our lives. Access even to our sin and to our brokenness. Access to even correcting us when we need correction. Access to our homes. Access to our stuff. And so the question I was asked you in terms of thinking through maybe whether or not you are, are, are how you're doing at love is how much access do people have to you? What does that access look like? And are you guarding people's access to you? Um, see, here's the thing. We all, we all need to receive love from someone or something. Um, but we will never be able to love others completely because we're always looking to gain love in return or protect ourselves or love ourselves more than others. It's one of the main reasons that, that we give limited access to people when it comes to our life is because we are trying, in a sense, to love ourselves more than we love others. So think about it in terms of your time. If you only give your time to those that you feel are worthy of it, or when it's most convenient for you, then you're guarding yourself, right? You're saying, I will give my time when it's expendable, but I will not give it when I think it's essential. Think of it in terms of your thought life. If you only share about yourself the things that make you look good, or make it look like you have it all together, then you're guarding who you really are. So if I do that with my wife, I'm probably not loving her well because I'm not giving her access to what's actually going on on the inside. Think of it in terms of your home. Oftentimes we, I think this is a big problem in North America and in, in uh, America, we see our homes primarily as our castle. Right, men? It is our source, of, it is our place of refuge, it is our place of retreat, don't come knocking on my door because if you do that on Saturday morning, I'll get really agitated about you, especially if you're carrying some kind of literature that I don't agree with. Why is that? It's because we see our homes as our place of refuge rather than Jesus as our refuge. And so we feel like in order to reserve love for ourselves, we need to reserve part of our lives or part of our space so that it's only for us. And nobody else has access to it. Think of it in terms of your stuff. Do you let people use your stuff even when they don't treat it with the respect that you would give it? If you're guarding your, your, 
your love with your stuff, you're probably only giving away things that are not essential to your life. I was talking with Caleb through this one time uh, when we were considering giving away toys that like he doesn't need anymore. And he's like, he, he categorizes everything in terms of like what's essential, like what's the coolest stuff that I absolutely cannot give away and like what's the stuff that I really don't care about or give away. And we were talking about like things to, to give away to charity or to other people and, uh, and he's, he's doing this in his mind. Oh, I don't use this, so I'll give this away. I said, no, no, no. What does Jesus do? Does he only give away the things that are not essential to him or does he give us absolutely everything regardless of their value? He gives us everything, right? And so we shouldn't just be people that give away or let people use the stuff that we don't use. We should be people that give away everything, right? Think about it in terms of your words. Towards other people. Do you love people with your words? And here's one of the big tests. Do you say things to others that will make them love you more rather than saying the most loving thing to them, even if it damages your reputation in their eyes? It's a tough one for me because I don't like conflict. But is that loving? Or is it guarded? Think about it in terms of people being, having access to correcting you over your life. Do you get mad when someone confronts you about sin or the way that you've treated someone else? Are you quick to listen to other people when they have something to say to you? Or do you shut down and go, well, you don't really know. You don't know my motivations or you don't know what's really happening or I'm really the victim in this situation. Do people have access to correcting you? See, when you ask some of those questions, it starts to bring it home, right? Love for other people and loving others more than ourselves starts to put skin on that whole thing. And the more skin we put on it, the more we go, I don't like the way this is looking. See, apart from God actually moving us to love others, the word that best describes the way I often love people is guarded. I want to love with guardrails on. I want to love with limitations on. I want to keep and reserve the best things for myself. See, in all these things, if we have not considered the complete love of God in Christ towards us, then we will limit the access that other people have to us, which by definition is to love ourselves more than we love others. Because you and I were designed to experience actually a complete and eternal love. And so here's the deal. If you don't have that source of love settled for you, then you will inevitably look to provide love for yourself through some other means. And instead of loving and using your life to love people, you will use people to love yourself. It's, I've found in my life it's, it's usually as simple as that. It's one or the other. I will either use people to love myself or I will use my life to love them. So the truth is, if we're actually having difficulty allowing people access to our lives, then here's the root reason. Because we oftentimes want to try to go a different way or find a different solution for these things with a whole other number of tactics, right? We try to think through and, and guilt ourselves or shame ourselves into the right tactics. We try to create empathy in ourselves or tell us, this is what I should be doing, and so I'll try to do it better. And so our trying ends up failing, and we get discouraged because we know that we don't measure up. What is the, actually the thing that's going to help you to love other people more than you? You need to know the answer to that. Because that is the solution. That is the way that you'll actually begin to see difference in your life and the way that you act towards other people. And what I've discovered is if I'm not allowing people access into my life, that it's most likely because I've forgotten the access that God the Father has given to me through His Son. You see, access to the Father leads to me wanting to give access to other people. Because then I realize that through me, they actually see the Father who gives access to all things. And I want them to see and experience that love for them and so I'm much more likely then to live out that in everyday life. See, in order to give others full access, we need to have received 
full access to a perfect source of love. And the good news of the Gospel is that we have been given full access to life in God's kingdom through Christ. So anytime that we're lacking love for others, the root is because we've forgotten or maybe we've never even known the love that God has for us. A complete and eternal love. See, God is the source of all love. So if you find yourself giving an incomplete love, then the solution is not to try harder. The solution is to refocus on the God who is love. That's why one of the greatest passages, one of the greatest chapters on what love is and how to live it out is, uh, is in this little letter that John the Apostle wrote to some believers in the first century. And he says this in chapter 4 of his, his letter. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how we know, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then down in verse 19, it says, we love because He first loved us. See, God is the source of all love because God is love. When He even created the world, He didn't do it because He needed to gain love from the world. He already had it because He is it. Even before creation, He existed Father, Son, and Spirit receiving and giving love between the community of the Trinity for eternity past. And so, creation wasn't created out of some kind of need that God had to have people serve Him and worship Him and love Him so that He could get what He didn't already have. It was, a, it was an explosion of the love that He already had for Himself. Father to Son, Son to Father, Holy Spirit to Father and Son. This is important because you need to know that you weren't created because God wanted something out of you. You weren't created because God had some kind of need and you fill it in His heart specifically. You were created because God loves and you are the expression, the explosion of that love onto the world. See, the, the reason that you and I are made to love others is because we're made in the image of a God who is love. And so the problem when we're finding ourselves not being loving is that we've forgotten the source of where love really comes from. That's why in a world that desperately needs to seek true love, if we are looking for it in every other place and every other source, we will not find it apart from Him. That's why the greatest act that God ever showed in terms of His love for anyone that's ever been displayed in the history of the world is Him sending His own Son. It's sending the most valuable thing that He had to reconcile and redeem a people that need to experience the love of God back into His family so that they could experience it in Him. So think about it. What did that do for us when He did that? It gave us access. Right? If you were to use any word in terms of what that produced for us, it was access to God Himself. And so think about it. In Jesus, we get access to righteousness. He who was perfect in every way, Jesus, became cursed so that we who were cursed because of sin could stand rightly before God forever. In Him, we gain access to Jesus' inheritance. He who was the King of kings and had every inheritance in heaven and on earth became poor so that we who were poor and in poverty could have accesses to the riches of God's kingdom. It's amazing, isn't it? We have access to adoption because of Jesus. The only true Son of God who lived with Him and His family forever became an orphan so that rebellious orphans like us could be welcomed home as sons and daughters. We have access to God's home. God created a place for us to live, a beautiful world for us to exist in, to have every need taken care of. And then even when we went and messed it up because of sin and rebelled against Him and the world 
is, is a completely different place because of our impact on it. God himself comes and he goes, you know what? Who's going to take the bill for that? Jesus. Jesus is going to pay the bill to clean up the mess that we made on the earth. And one day he's going to come and make it a completely new place for us to live. He gave you a home. He gave you access to a place to live. And he gives you access to life. The giver of life who sent his son so that he would die in the place of those who deserve death that we could have eternal life in him. So here's the the thing. When it comes to giving access, what we need to do is actually to remember the access that God has given to us through his son, which will then lead us to want to live differently because of the access that we've been given. We need to understand not that we should go through this life searching for love or convincing ourselves that we need to be lovable. We need to rest in the fact that we are loved. It's one of the greatest quotes that we've been going through um, this thing called Porterbrook for leadership development. This is one of my favorite quotes from the first class that we went through. It says, We must stop wasting our time trying to convince ourselves that we are lovable and instead rest in the glorious fact that we are loved. That sums it up, doesn't it? Yet the source of our inability to love others is the forgetfulness of the love that we've been given. That's why John says, if anyone does not love, they don't know God. They haven't remembered His love for them because God is love. And if we experience it again and know it through His Son, the result of our lives will be love. And specifically, loving others more than ourselves because that's exactly the way that Jesus loved us. And so, help me here. Let's think through this thing again in terms of access to our lives through the lens of the gospel and how that might change the way that we love other people. If we're thinking about loving others, giving them access to our lives through the lens of the gospel, how will that cause us to love the people around us? So let me just let's think about it in terms of our time. How, how does this good news of what Jesus has done to give us access to God lead us maybe to live our lives of love towards others in terms of our time differently? What might that look like in the way that we give time to others? Right. Yeah, spending time with people. Yeah. And in fact, if, if God gave us time on earth and says, here's the most thing important thing is to be used for, then we would go, you know what? Who knows better how to use my time than the one who created me and gave me the time I have? And so that, I, what that says for me is that n- there is no wasted time when it's spent actually loving other people, which is tough because that's easy to say in theory until you've got a bunch of stuff to do. I was thinking of this yesterday when, like, um, we were going to spend some time with people in the morning, and that was scheduled time. So we knew we were going and spending time with some folks for breakfast, and we were going to go over to their house and spend a few hours. And in my mind, I had budgeted for that time. But then I had budgeted for a whole bunch of other things, like preparing for today and using my brand-new leaf blower and, uh, <laughs> and resting and getting a nap in and spending time with my boys. And then at around 12.30 or 12.40, I found out that there was a birthday party that was happening across the street, and my son was invited to it, and they invited us as well. And so all of a sudden, there was this conflict in my heart, because what my heart wanted to do was to protect my time and use it for the things that I thought it was well spent on. And now all of a sudden, there's a, there's a confrontation to that time, and I'm going, okay, and I literally had to like process through this in my head, and I think I even said a few things out loud as I was talking to God through this, this particular issue. You've placed us in this neighborhood to love people so that they might see you through us. I know that that's why you brought us here. I'm clear on that. You know, you're giving me an opportunity to spend time with folks to love them well. I, we didn't even know the people whose birthday was being celebrated. But I know, God, you've brought us here to be a servant of those people so that they might see our servant king. So what would I do? I would lay down this stuff 
so that I could go and serve them and be in community with them. I had to do that, like, in my heart. Why have you done this? Because you laid down things that were important in order to love me well. You took the time, 33 years, to, to come from heaven to earth to love me in ways that I could never be loved by anyone so that I could experience access to the Father. You've given me access in terms of your time. How could I not give it to people that need it? See, it changes the way that we live our time. What about your thoughts? Like the real you, what's happening in your heart and your mind? How might understanding the gospel lead you to give that differently to people? Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, and so oftentimes we think that we have work to gain provision for ourselves when really God has given us provision through work so that we might love others as we work. Like, you ever consider that? The reason that you're in your place of work is not just to provide for yourself or your family, but it's to love other people and to rest in God's provision. So, like, when other people are stressing out about what's going to happen in the workplace and who's going to get the raise and the promotion or who's going to get fired, and and through that process, you're giving people access to what you're thinking, and you're resting in the gospel and going, you know what, even if God chooses to lead me away from this place of work and to another place, or even to have me away from a job for a season of life, like, he's going to provide for me. And so that resting in that will communicate something completely different to those that you work around, will it not? Because you'll be the only person that's not running around with their head cut off, like a chicken with their head cut off. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And oftentimes that's what's going on in our thoughts, right? It's not the, maybe the strength that we have, but some of the brokenness that's there too. And so allowing people and, and actually telling them what's going on on the inside of you. So if you're having a bad day, actually expressing that. Or, ba- or making a bad decision or struggling with sin. I just want to remind you, if we're remembering the gospel, we would remember that Jesus took our condemnation and our shame. There was someone who hung for that sin, and it's not you. And so in Him hanging naked and ashamed for your sin, you get to be actually honest with your sin towards other people without shame. Uh, one of the things I love um, about Mandy is, is um, my wife is when she's correcting our kids like over something that they've done wrong, she always begins with uh, confession. And it's challenged me. So when she, whenever she's, so she'll, like, we'll put Caleb in time out, and then we'll go and talk to him about what he did. And one of the things that always inevitably comes up as my wife is correcting our kids is that she confesses the ways that she struggled with the same thing that he's struggling to obey as he's struggling to obey it. So she's coming to him not like, uh, you know, you should not do this because it's bad or whatever the case might be. She's coming to him almost as an equal and going, you know what? I need Jesus too. And she's honest with our boys about the things that she struggles with. It really, like, confronts me in a number of ways and challenges me in the way that I parent our kids. She's open about that stuff, which is intimacy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that um, God really taught us um, a couple years ago was uh, he really confronted me with this question, are you willing to look really bad in order for me to look really good? Or do you feel like everybody needs to see you as being really good? Because I had a neighbor come to us and go, man, like, I just, I love the way that you guys live, and it just looks so perfect from the outside, and like the way that you interact with your kids and how much love that you have. And I realized that he never spent a whole lot of time inside our home. <laughs> he just saw it from the outside. And what he really needed to see was not just the outside and everything cleaned up and looking good when we were going from our house to our car. He needs to actually be invited into the mess of our family as we struggle with sin and look to Jesus to be the one who redeems us. What the world needs to see from the church is not a people that have been redeemed, not a people that are they're all cleaned up and good to go. It's a people who are in the process of being redeemed through the mess of life as the gospel cleans us up. And so are we people that are open with our brokenness to other people, both within the church and maybe even without, outside of it? It's a major test, right? 
See, knowing the love of God will lead you to actually living a life of self-abandonment rather than self-protection. The more you revel in the love of the Father expressed in Christ, the more you'll actually want to love other people the same way. So there's good news in that because He actually gives you the desire. So you might be here thinking, like, I don't really want to love people that way. That's okay, actually. None of us want the things of God apart from God making us want those things. He actually gives us the desires of His heart. But there's even better news, and we're going to wrap up with this. Because not only does God give you the desire to love other people more than yourself, He actually wants you to give you the ability to do it. See, it's one thing to have the desire to do something. It's a totally different thing to have the ability. Like, I, if I wanted to be the center of an NBA team, I might want that all my life, but I'm five foot six, and it's never going to happen. Just don't have the ability, right? So, the great news about this is that God actually gives us the ability. So, access to His love leads to the ability to love other people as God desires us to love them. Jesus was encouraging His disciples to, that, that they were even going to go on and do greater things than even Jesus Himself. And He says this in John 14. He says, And I will do whatever you ask in My name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask Me for anything in My name, and I will do it. And I used to read that and think, wow, like I can, I'll just come up with anything. I'll tag on the words in Jesus' name to the end of it. And God will be like a genie and He'll just pop it out for me at the moment that I need it. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, go ahead and ask for things according to My name, which means ask for things that will glorify Me. Go ahead and ask for Me to do things in your life that make more of Me than of you. Go ahead. So you want to love people well? Ask Me. If you want to be really super generous and give away things so that other people would see how generous I am, then ask me to do that. If you want to be really patient with me so that others will see how patient I've been with you, ask me. If you want boldness to speak about the gospel in ways that you could never do because you don't have the ability, ask me. You want to love people? Ask me and watch as I show up and do it. That's what he's saying. Isn't that amazing? We can ask for anything that glorifies Him by the way that we live. And what we've said already is for us to love is the primary way that we do that. So if you want to love other people, what's the way that we do it? We ask Him to show up and do it through us. This is good news. So I want to just recall last week that we said that God has not left us alone to live the life that He's called us to live. He's given us the Spirit to enable us to live the life that God desires for us. And so just as Jesus was living in the power of the Spirit to glorify God, the Spirit is in us to empower us to glorify God in the same way. And there's nothing that glorifies God more than when we love others more than ourselves. And that's why 1 John says this. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. So the way that people are going to experience the love of God is when they see God at work in you. And I always thought, like, I, whenever I read this, I would stop at verse 12 and go, okay, people are going to see the love of God through me, therefore I need to go out and just love people really well. And I stopped reading. But actually, if you read on in verse 13, he says, this is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit. You want to know how you're going to do it? You want to know who's going to give you the ability? It's Him. He's going to be the one to do it through you. So you don't have to do it on your own. And this is good news because it means that God doesn't just want to give us all kinds of commands to love people without the ability to actually obey the command. He will actually give us the ability to love others through the power of His Spirit. And so when you read a command like Jesus gives to His disciples and He says, love others as I have loved you, you shouldn't read that and go, 
oh man, that sounds so hard. How in the world is that ever going to happen? We should read something like that and go, that's awesome. How in the world are you going to do that? Who do you want to do it to? How are you going to manifest that kind of love in me? Because I trust that it's you who's working in me to obey the things of God and not just me trying to do it on my own for you. That's the good news of the Gospel. You have not been left alone to do this. You actually get the ability to do it and then you, on the back end, because you recognize that it was God being the one to do it through you, you get to give Him praise for what He did that you were incapable of doing. And so here's the thing. We're going to close, but I, I want to do this. We're going to pray, and I, 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 just, I want you to ask the Spirit of God, if you know Him, three things. You might want to write these things down or keep them in your mind or, or whatever the case might be, because I don't just want this to be an exercise in like, oh, now we know. Here's what it looks like to love. Great. And then we're not loving. So the first question is this, asking God, who do you want to love through me this week? Who do you want me to love this week? Now think of that in terms of access to your time and your thoughts and your stuff and your intimacy and all that. Who do you want to love through me? Secondly, what do I need to remember about the gospel in order to love this person well? So God might bring somebody to mind and you might go, oh, not that person. In order to love them well, you're going to have to remember something about the gospel to enable you to have the desire to love them. What is that thing? Ask the Spirit to remind you. And then third, how do you actually want to empower me to love them with a love that's beyond my ability? What does it look like for me to love that person this week as you call me to love? It might be a phone call, it might be a visit, it might be a gift. It, I don't know what it is and what God will lead you to do, but how does that look for you? So let's pray and ask God to do those three things for all of us.